So good to see you. I am glad that you're a part of what we're doing. We are working hard for you to figure out how to, um, to build out a kid's ministry that, that will allow you to be a, a part of that. And so just know that we're working on that. But in the meantime, we're super glad that you're here in the service. And a lot about what we're going to be talking about today, kiddos, you're going to be able to relate to. And it's going to teach you a lot about your parents. Okay, so just heads up. Um, I'm going to let you know a little insight into your parents today. All right, so Psalm 51 is where we are. The topic we're going to be talking about today is repentance, but not just repentance. We're going to be talking today about how repentance leads to life. You see, we, we're, we're familiar with the word. We've heard it. I think the problem is we have somewhat of a, of a distorted view, a lot of us, of what the word actually means. For many of us, we hear that word and we associate it maybe with a negative experience, right? And there's some reasons for that. The church is partially responsible. I think for a lot of us, we connect that word to like hellfire, brimstone, judgmental messages. And so therefore, we just throw out the word repentance as though it's not needed. But then we look at the scriptures and we go, wait a second. What was the main message John the Baptist was preaching? Repent. Repent, why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. And then, and then what happens in chapter four of, of the gospel of Matthew? Jesus hits the public scene. What's the primary theme of Jesus' message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not only that, we get into the, the book of Acts, which is the launch of the church, and Acts 2, the first recorded sermon of the church. Peter's up. Let's do this. We're launching a church. Peter, you're preaching first. What are you preaching on? Repentance. The people are cut to the heart. What do we do? What do we do with this inward burning we feel, Peter? In Acts 2, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then something good will happen, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 7, Paul is preaching in Athens. He says this, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And then there's an interesting place in the book of Acts, Acts 11, you may not know this background, but Peter struggled with uh, racism and showing partiality, and all the apostles did really, to those who weren't Jews. Like it was a big struggle in the early church. And so the Holy Spirit just crushes Peter in the middle of the night with this vision and really convicts him that you aren't to treat people different from different ethnicities or backgrounds and, and that the gospel includes everybody. And so then Peter's like, whoa, I've been messing up. So he goes back to the apostles in Acts 11 to tell them what he's learned from the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 11, we read this, that when they, the apostles, heard these things, they fell silent. That's the Bible's way of saying they felt convicted. They shut their mouths. And then they glorified God saying what? What was the theme of the apostles at this moment? Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance. Listen, that leads to life. And so the Bible's perspective of repentance is not only that it's essential, that it's commanded by God, but it actually leads to good things. And think about the struggle that you and I have with embracing this idea of repentance. And I think part of that comes from the culture that we're in. I don't know if, you, if, you've, if you've paid attention to the cultural shifts and ideologies, but we're in a culture right now that by and large esteems and elevates personal comfort over and above personal responsibility, right? And so we, we think about it. Well, yeah, I'll bear some responsibility as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. My comfort, what I, me feeling good about myself or feeling good about my circumstances is way more important than my responsibility and duty to own my mistakes. But you know what? The problem's even deeper than that. The problem is more systemic than that. 
You realize that inerrant in every human being is a sin nature, and your sin nature fights against the idea of repentance because repentance requires owning sin. And your sin nature doesn't want to own sin, and I would even argue your sin nature can't even see sin accurately. We go all the way back to Adam and Eve. First sin, how do they respond? Hide, hide from God, I'm gonna hide from you. And then once they're busted, what do they do? Blame shift. Oh, it was her, you're right, God, I did do that. But let me tell you, the woman you gave me, so actually it's kind of both of y'all's fault. She's the one who taught me into doing this. And so we see that, that pattern all throughout humanity. Now parents who have kids, get ready kids, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you know about something about your parents, but parents who have kids, what's the number thing, one thing we want from our kids? We want you to be honest. Own your mistakes. For the love of God, I saw you do it. I was standing here with these eyes, with these ears, and I watched you pull your brother's hair. I didn't do it. Okay, I did it, but it's because he did this. And so we blame shift, right? So that, that's just like inerrant in fallen humanity that we don't own our mistakes. Now, kids, just let me tell you something. You don't outgrow that. Your parents have just become better at it. They have. They're better at hiding their sin and they're better at blame shifting than you are. Now you're in class right now, you're watching, you're learning, you're gonna be better at it later too. But the point is that if we want life, the doorway to life is repentance. Yes, I don't care what our culture says. I don't even care how I feel on the inside. What I care is what the truth of God's word says. So Psalm 51 is where we're going today. Psalm 51 is a beautiful song, it is a song, written by David, expressing his repentance. The backstory is, David has an inappropriate relationship with Bathsheba, a woman who's not his wife, and in an effort to cover that up, he makes many attempts, he ends up murdering her husband. Okay, so a lot of blood on David's shoulders right now. And so in the middle of that, he's confronted by a friend who is courageous enough. How many of you have a friend courageous enough to confront you in your sin? If you don't, you need new friends. A friend comes to him, he's like, David, I gotta, I gotta tell you this story. And David's like, man, it's a horrible story. Whoever the guy is in that story is a jerk. And the friend goes, yeah, you're the guy in the story, David. And so what happens right after that is his heart wells up in repentance and he writes a song. And that's what we're gonna be looking at here today. Psalm 51, starting in verse one and two. Let's read. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, what I want us to see first of all is like the first thing that's required for repentance to happen is the mercy of God. Apart from the mercy of God, you and I don't even see our sin accurately to begin with. We have a distorted view, a view that wants to justify it, minimize it, hide it. It is by God's mercy that he lets you and lets me see our sin accurately. And when you think about that, that alone, just the, just the ability to look inside yourself and go, you know what, I really messed up, that's a gift from God, right? Because left to our own strength, you and I aren't gonna do that. You pin me down, I'll give you a calculated confession based on what I think you already know. But I'm not giving up any extra information. I learned that as a kid. But when God opens up my soul 
and lays bare my sin where I see all of it, that is a gift from God. Like I, I try to incorporate this even in my conversations with you guys as church members. So like if, if you bring me a, something that you've been offended by, just something, you bring something that was hard for you to say, hard for me to hear, like I wanna make it my practice to say thank you. What you just gave me was a gift. Amen. That does not mean I liked hearing it. Amen. Doesn't mean it made me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, but what it means is if you hadn't said that, I wouldn't even see it. Amen. So like Proverbs says that the wounds of a friend can be trusted, meaning that when a friend brings you something that wounds you, you can trust it. Now here we are talking about repentance and before you and I can even get started owning our sin and mistakes, we need the mercy of God to say, let me just show you some things about yourself. Let me do the opposite of what your flesh, your flesh wants to hide. Let me just open this up so you can see fully what you have done. And so it's by the mercy of God that you and I are even able to see our sin accurately. Now this next thing here, so we're gonna see all throughout this Psalm, David's using this poetic language these real simple word metaphors to describe something that is incredibly deep theologically speaking. And so here he's saying, wash me, blot out my transgressions, and then we get this, wash me thoroughly. Okay, so that, that word in the Hebrew language described what, um, what you would know as like a fuller. I know we don't have that profession really in our culture, the fuller. The fuller is the one who is responsible for like cleaning garments and linens. Like you've heard of fuller soap. So that's the idea, this process. You're not just washing something off. Like when I wash my truck, I just get it wet. Like it's the idea of getting something like soaking it and wrenching it and wringing it out, washing it again. The process of the fuller would to, to put all the linens in a basin with water and soap and to use their feet to just grind on that garment, trying to do what? Press out all the dirt, all the grime, all the sweat, everything that was making the garment dirty. That was the process of the fuller. That's the actual word used here. David said, I need you to do that in my heart. Like I just need my soul to soak in your goodness and to be wrenched by your loving kindness, to be wrung out by your spirit in such a way that you can actually clean me on the inside. Because if you don't clean me on the inside, I'm hopeless. And so he says, wash me thoroughly, like the fuller washes garments from my iniquity. Now, verse three through six, we're gonna begin to get this description of repentance. What is it? It's, listen, it's more than saying I'm sorry. Okay, it's more than saying, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. (laughs) That does no good for your marriage, by the way. That's almost repentance. Now you may be sorry that you made somebody feel that way, but that's different from, you know what, this is what I'm really remorseful for. I'm sorry I said those words because I actually meant them in the moment. I don't mean them now, but in that moment I meant it. I meant to make you angry. I meant to make you feel less than, I meant it. That's different from, yeah, I'm just sorry for the, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. And so we get into Psalm 51 verse three, listen to David as he describes his sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's a very simple words, but what David's describing here is he's like saying, God, now I see it fully. And I'm not just seeing the sin from yesterday or last week or what happened with Uriah. Like, I'm seeing all of my sin now. Amen. I'm seeing it all. And I see it fully. So at Solid Rock, what we call this is extreme ownership. 
I'm not, this is not calculated ownership. You know what I'm saying? You know, that kind of give and take with your parents? Like, well, I don't know. How much do you know? Where were you last night? I don't know. I need to know what you know before I can tell you where I was last night. Right? That's calculated ownership. I'm only going to own it to the extent that you are aware. This is the idea. I'm going beyond that. There's stuff you don't know. I'm going to own it all. Extreme ownership of sin. David's saying it quite simply. I know my transgressions. I, before this moment, I didn't know them. I kind of felt guilty. I kind of knew I was wrong. But right now, I know I am wrong. And I know my sins. And my sins are always before me. But then listen to verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, Step one is I got to see my sins. God shows me my sins. Step two is I got to own it all, all of it, okay? But now what we're seeing is David is saying something kind of strange. Against you only and you only have I sinned. But wait a second. I don't know that Uriah's mom and dad, right, would jump on board with this. What do you mean? You sinned against us. What do you mean against God and God alone did you sin? How about Bathsheba? How about Bathsheba's parents? What are you talking about? You took something from my daughter that didn't belong to you. What do you mean against God? Yeah, you sinned against God, but you sinned against me too. Now listen to David's confession because it's so helpful for you and I in understanding our repentance. Yes, we sin against one another, but our sin against one another pales in comparison to our sin against God. So as painful as it is when we sin against one another, right? I'm not minimizing that. I'm maximizing our sin against God. Are you with me? Yes. Like you've been sinned against, right? And it hurts. Pales in comparison to the, what it does as it grieves God when we sin against him. Why? Because of his holiness. That's what he's saying. God, you're the only one who is a righteous judge. You're the only one whose words are absolutely true. So yes, I sinned against Uriah. I sinned against Bathsheba. I sinned against your people. You trusted me to lead them and I failed them. And all of that is true, but my primary sin is against the holiness of God. Now listen, until we get to a place where we can see that great violation of his holiness, we don't have a shot at repentance. At best, we'll do a calculated apology. This is what David is saying. He's not minimizing the pain he caused. Uriah, Uriah's family, Bathsheba, Everybody included, what he's saying is, God, the pain I caused them pales in comparison to the pain I caused you. Hey, that's true for you too, by the way. That's true for me. How do we know? We look at the cross. We look at the pain that God's son willingly endured for us, and we know. Yeah, your sin hurts me, and my sin hurts you, but our sin is painful to the Lord. David says something in verse five. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity in, my, in sin. Did my mother conceive me? What is he saying? He's saying, listen, God, I was born with this sin nature. It's not like I became an adult and then started to screw up. If I'm gonna own this sin, what happened with Uriah, what happened with Bathsheba, I gotta own the whole lot. I mean, from my first breath, something was broken inside of me. Amen. And I have been sinful since birth. And then he inserts really good news here into this psalm. I'm trying to imagine how this song unfolded, verse and chorus. And like for me, it's like David's just gonna insert this gospel truth here. He says, behold, you delight 
in truth, in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret place. Now, why I feel hopeless right now, I feel laid bare right now. I feel like when I look inside, all I see is ugliness and dirtiness. But God, you can do something about it. You can put truth in here. You can fix what's broken in here. You delight in truth in my inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart, which is where he's gonna go now in verse seven. Again, picking up with these cleansing metaphoric words, he says what? Purge me with hyssop, purge, press, and press out all the bad stuff and I shall be clean, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, He's using hyperbole, but honestly, I don't think that it's exaggerated because see, like I read that and I go, okay, that's what my wife tries to do during baseball season with white pants. Any baseball moms in here, inevitably your coach wants your kids to wear white pants and inevitably they're gonna go play on a red infield, right? And it's like, whoa, you might as well just dip them in red Kool-Aid at the end of the day. Hallie, my wife, has this remarkable ability to take these nasty stained pants and make them almost clean. Like it'll blow you. She's like, what do you think? She rings them out. I'm like, oh my gosh, those are the same pants? Yeah, but listen, but they're not completely clean. As hard as she works, she's got the secret soap and the special prayer she prays. I don't know what she does, but she takes these red pants and turns them into white. I'm like, that is impressive. But if I look real close, I can see the remnant of the stain. If I look real, real close, what David is saying, listen, I don't wanna just be kind of washed clean. I wanna be whiter than clean. I wanna be whiter than snow. What David is alluding to is saying, listen, God, I don't want you just to erase the past. I want you to make me better than I am. And essentially what he's calling for is the righteousness of God. I don't wanna be the old me that kinda got it right. I wanna be a new me. I don't wanna be just almost white. I wanna be whiter than white in terms of righteousness. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And here will be how we know, because God will let us hear. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Look at this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. What David is asking for is saying, God, I'm not just asking you to wipe the slate clean and let me have another try. I need you to do something far more supernatural and dramatic than that. I need you to fix what's broken in here. You follow me? It wasn't like David took the dry erase board of his sins and laid it before the Lord and said, can you wipe this clean and let me have another try? Because why? Because David's saying, if you give me another try, I'm going to fill up the next dry erase board. I mean, I'll fill it up before the end of the day. I need you to do something in here. Cleanse me in here. Not only that, I need you to create. He's calling on the creator to create again. Did you catch that? He's calling on the creator God to create again. What? A new heart. I love uh, Charles Spurgeon, a fantastic preacher, but has incredible insight into the Psalms. What a reason. Spurgeon just saw things in the Psalms that a lot of people don't see. And here's what Charles Spurgeon wrote down after reading that verse, created me a new heart. This is a quote. What, exclamation point, has sin so destroyed us that the creator must be called in again? I and my outward fabric still exist, but I am empty, desert, void. Come then 
and let thy power be seen in a new creation within my old fallen self. The Spurgeon reads these words from David. He's like, man, I need that same heart surgery. If David needs it, I need it. If David needs it, I need it. Now I want to I love the simplicity of the words of Psalm 51 because these washing metaphors help me begin to visualize this beautiful, incredibly deep and theological work that's taking place in the heart of one who repents. We could be using words like justification and sanctification and propitiation, these really profound words that have meaning. But David's like, let me just describe it in simple terms. Let me just use kind of simple word metaphors so that you and I can really grasp what God is saying. I want to use just a, a simple little illustration here to kind of illustrate what we're reading. So I've got a, a nasty t-shirt. Who does this belong to? Evan, is this yours? Somebody with a V. No, this was actually a brand new shirt out of the package this morning, and I tossed it to Jeff Rathbun. I said, hey, man, can you go get this as dirty as possible? And the reason I wanted him to do that is because I wanted to have something that reflected not just David's heart, but my heart and your heart apart from God's supernatural work. This is what David is saying. God, right now my soul looks like this. And everything on here is my fault. I'm not gonna blame my neighbor for this stuff anymore. I'm not gonna blame Bathsheba. I'm not gonna blame other people for this mess. It's mine, I see it. It's all mine. Matter of fact, this goes all the way back to when I was a kid. But here's what I need, God. I need you to cleanse this in such a way that you don't just make it like baseball pant clean, not just kind of clean. What I need, God, is I need a new one. I need a new shirt. I need you to take what's broken and dark and stained within me. I'm not a magician. I wish I was. I would just go pull out a shirt. But look, this is what David's praying for right here. Not kind of clean, but if you come look at this, there's not one stain on it. This is what he's saying. And you notice I switched shirts. Why? Because David's saying, I need you to switch my heart. I don't want you to take the old one and just shine it up. I need a new one. And what, what David's praying for is the righteousness of Christ. There's only one who is this righteous. You know that, right? It's Jesus. And so God is not just coming into David's situation saying, let me polish you up, clean you up a little bit, make you look a little better and send you on your way. What God is doing is a supernatural work of taking the righteousness of God and saying, David, here, put this on. Wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't, I didn't, that's not my shirt. And God's like, I know. You want your shirt back? No, okay, well then here, take this one. This is what my son Jesus is offering to you that you would be perfectly righteous. And that's a big deal. You cannot clean yourself up. I mean, that's the good news of the gospel. No matter how hard you and I take our lives and try to, try to clean it up, first of all, everybody around you is gonna get dirty. Look at that water. But the harder we try, I could sit and do this. This is the second service already. It's gonna look just as dirty after the third service. There's only so much I can do to make this clean. You know that, right? And so when you and I try to clean up our own act, this is all we're doing, just making a mess. Maybe for you it's like, I'm gonna start going to church and that'll fix me. Coming to church without repentance won't do anything for you. Yeah, but I'm gonna sing the songs with my hands in the air. That's just like taking your dirty soul and putting it in water and trying to clean it. Yeah, but I'm going to give a bunch of money. Don't ask me how much. Just know I'm giving a bunch of money to God's work. Listen, 
that all those attempts are you trying to clean yourself up. And it's just gonna make the water muddier. And listen, it's gonna lead to more death. When David first messed up with Bathsheba, he had an opportunity to repent, he didn't. He covered it up and guess what? It led to more death. Not just for him, but for Uriah, Uriah's family. Like we have to understand that. Lack of repentance does not lead to life, it leads to more death. And what the apostles are saying, what Peter's saying, what Jesus is saying, what John the Baptist is saying, what David's saying right here is repentance leads to life. A new heart, create in me, oh God, a new heart and restore, restore God, the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now, I love where David goes next in verse 13. He says, here's what's gonna happen. If you'll do this in me, then I'm gonna go do a bunch of cool stuff for you, God. I'm not gonna go do a bunch of cool stuff from you to get you to like me or try to fix my dirtiness. I'm gonna, I need to be clean first, but then look, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Those, all those things are the fruit of real repentance. You follow me? That's what comes out of a repentant heart. So yeah, come to church, sing the songs, lift your hands if you want to, give money generously, do all those things out of a repentant heart. You with me? Not trying to convince God you're okay, but because you're already convinced that you are a sinner and you need his grace and his mercy and he has washed you and given you a new heart, out of that comes what? Fruit of repentance. What God does in us, he wants to do through us. So David's like, hey, listen, I'm a sinner. I need your mercy, but guess what? You've called me to lead a nation of sinners. So don't only do this work in me, but like do it through me. I'll go tell people about how good you are. I'll share with the people how amazing you are. And then he ends in verse 16 through 19, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. David's saying, listen, the sacrifices we've been offering as a nation, they're not pleasing to you because we're offering with this broken, sinful heart and when we walk away, we're still broken and sinful. It doesn't fix us. And, and you don't take pleasure in these things, God. The sacrifices of God, verse 17, are this, a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And that's his point at the end. Listen, you wanna lay something on the altar for God? Keep your money and lay out your heart. You wanna lay something on the altar before God today? Keep your volunteerism and lay out your heart. Like you wanna, you wanna be right with God today? Listen, here's how you do it. You offer up your broken and contrite heart before the Lord. He will not despise it. He delights in it. Think about that. He delights in it. Why? Because that's when he gets to do this amazing work in your life. Like that's where his Holy Spirit just gets to go ravish who you are and, 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 and convert you from the inside out and flip you upside down and take what you used to think and turn it into something that's right. And like this amazing transformative work that happens in us begins with repentance. You can't just fast forward to, can't we just sing songs? That would be way easier. I'll even sing songs that talk about repentance, but like, can we just do that instead of repenting? God's like, no. You might as well just be offering bulls up here on the altar. God says, hey, keep that mess. Until you're ready to bring me your broken and contrite heart, we've got no business. Amen. Amen. Now, here's the thing that I think is so cool. I'll go back to the white t-shirt for just a second. So we've repented. We've been forgiven of our sins 
in God's eyes, we look like this, but then we still struggle, right? That's always a question. I still struggle, so what do I do? Repentance is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time event. And the more mature we become in Christ, I would argue, the more frequently we repent because the more aware we are of that we need it. And so listen to me. This is, the, this is the illustration of the now and the not yet. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ, you are righteous before God right now. Even though a lot of days you feel like this still. Here's what the truth is. God is sanctifying you because every day you're becoming more and more what you already are in Christ. You hear me? What you already are. So when you choose holiness, when you choose righteousness, when you choose godliness, you're participating in the work of the Holy Spirit and you're just stepping towards who you already are. Right? You with me? And when we sin, when we struggle, right, we're acting like the old self. And so God says, hey, that's not who you are anymore. This is who you are. I want to leave it there today by returning back to what Peter told the apostles in Acts 11. When he said, hey, guys, I got something to tell you, man. The Holy Spirit wrecked me. Man, I've been, I've been misunderstanding the gospel. I've been mistreating the Gentiles. I've been given into this racism, this partiality, and just treating people different based on the color of their skin. In Acts 11, verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God, saying, listen to this. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The apostles saw repentance as a gift from God, not something to, to, to hide from, not something to, to stay away from, but like they, they considered this idea of repentance like this bucket of gold, a gift. The apostles said, okay then, let's give this to everybody. Let's give this to everybody. So I wanna leave you with, with just a couple of questions as we reflect so in just a minute, the, the worship teams, they're gonna come up and sing a song. The title of the song is Psalm 51. And you're gonna quickly realize, oh, that's why. Because they're basically singing what we just read. And they're inviting you to sing what we just read. But before we do that, here's just a couple things I want you to, to think about. Is there anything within you right now that feels hesitant to repent? You can't... I don't know what right now the Spirit, Holy Spirit's convicting you of right now, but is there a hesitation within your heart? If there is, I want you to understand that is your sin nature. That's not God. Your sin nature wants to convince you to keep that stuff inside and to keep hiding it. So just be, be clear, that's what it is. The hesitation you feel keeping you from repentance is your sin nature. Here's what I wanna ask you if you'd be willing to. Would you be so courageous today to, to ask God, God, will you show me, will you show me my sin today, that I might repent. Now, don't please, I mean, you can come get me if you want to, and I'll talk with you, and I'll pray with you, but this is primarily between you and God. Would you be so courageous to say, God, will you show me any sin that I haven't repented of today? I'm gonna leave you with that thought just to think about as our worship team comes up. I'm gonna lead us in prayer, and as I pray, they're coming up. At the end of the service, our, prayers, our pastors will be down here. We'd love to pray with you. We'll be down at the front. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for this good gospel news that you accept sinners like us. That Father, when we repent, you meet us in that repentance to do this transformative work that leads to life. And Father, we just confess that we in our own strength and our own cognitive abilities, God, we, the last thing we wanna do is own our sin. So God, would you by your mercy grant us the ability today to see and to own our sin. God, we oftentimes pray 
um, about the future of Solid Rock Church and, and the spiritual DNA. And so I wanna pray that way today, God. I pray, God, that you could begin to release the DNA of repentance into this church family. That would, we would be a people of repentance, that we would be a people who call and invite others into repentance, that our journey with all the amazing things that you want to do in this church would be marked with moments of repentance. And God, I believe that needs to start today, like right now in our hearts. So God, we thank you that repentance leads to life. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.